My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. you to think about a time maybe where you felt that God was going to speak through you. You were talking with a friend or family member, a co-worker, a, your boss, your spouse, your child, whatever it is, and you were about to share the message of Jesus Christ. You're about to share your faith. You were about to share the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. But maybe you got to that moment and you were on the edge of that experience and you didn't take a step, right? Have you ever had an opportunity to share your faith but then you didn't. An opportunity to share the hope of Jesus Christ, but you didn't. You saw the door open up, but you didn't walk through that door. I was talking with a friend several months ago, and he was explaining to me that he was having this dinner with one of his other friends. And as he and his wife were at this restaurant, they're sitting down, they're talking, just, you know, casual conversations. This friend started just to in a moment of vulnerability, in a moment of kind of honesty, she starts to just kind of unravel her life before him and her. And he starts to un she starts to say, like, I just can't find meaning. I can't find contentment. I can't find satisfaction. I feel that my life is just hollow. And as he's telling me this story, I'm sitting almost like in, I'm in my house hearing this story, and I'm sitting kind of at the edge of my seat, and I'm thinking to myself, this is such a good opportunity. And so I'm like eager, I'm ready to hear how he transitioned the conversation to Jesus. Like, I can't wait for it. It's, like, it's just like, like seeing the trailer of a new Star Wars movie and I'm thinking, ooh, what are they going to do next? Like, I, I was so excited. Sadly, he tells me, you know, Paul, I, I didn't know what to say. I knew I should have said something. I know this was the opportunity that I've been looking for. I knew it was a moment that this, this gal was just being honest and vulnerable and there was an opportunity to tell her about Jesus, and I didn't take it. And I kind of sat back, and I thought to myself, man, like, I'm, I'm not only friends with him, but I'm his pastor. And I felt convicted that I didn't prepare him for that moment. I didn't prepare him to seize that moment. He was gripped by that fear of, I don't know what to say. Have you ever been there? 
You have that willingness and that drive and you want to seize the opportunity, but you stop because of the fear of, I don't know what to say. If I'm honest, I've been there. Not that long ago, it was maybe a year or so ago, I was hanging out with a family member. Actually, it was a couple years ago, hanging out with a family member, and they were about to have this medical procedure. And they were really nervous about this medical procedure because there was a slight uh, chance of fatality. It was small, but it was, it was still there. It had to be presented. And as they're kind of unpacking the angst and the worry and what would happen, you know, with their spouse, what would happen with their child, all these different things, all these scenarios, I can feel the angst. Like she's really just stepping into this very vulnerable moment with me. And I didn't share the hope of Jesus Christ. I didn't share the hope that helps me in my anxious moments. And I really had the same fear that my friend had. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to transition this moment. Have you ever been there? I don't know what to say. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your friend, your best friend, your coworker, your boss. You pray for them. You, you talk to God about them, but you haven't stepped into the opportunity to talking to them about God. And what is holding you back is that fear of, I don't know what to say. Where we are as we journey through the Bible is a perfect place to address that fear. We're going to look at the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah is going to be given a task by God to speak God's words to God's people. But Jeremiah is going to have this reluctancy. He's going to pull back and really it's that same fear. I don't know what to say. Do you know cultural trends tell us that your friends your family members who aren't yet following Jesus, that the thing that's really going to impact them to take the next step towards Jesus is not a conversation they have with Pastor Paul. It's a conversation that they're going to have with you. Right? Cultural trends are telling us that the spiritual conversations that are most catalytic, the ones that really lift people off the ground and get them to step forward and say, I want to start following Jesus. Those moments, those conversations happen more outside of the church than necessarily inside the church. And so if those moments and those conversations are so important, we have to know how to address the fear, I don't know what to say. And I think Jeremiah is going to give us a clue as to how we can overcome that fear. So I want you to, if you have your Bible, go to Jeremiah chapter 1. If you have a hard time finding Jeremiah, it's about right in the middle of your Bible. So if you split your Bible in half, you can navigate that way or feel free to go to the table of contents as well. Don't be embarrassed by that. It's hard to know where all the books are, so don't worry about that. Also, it'll be on the screen for you. And here's what I think we're going to see as we navigate through Jeremiah chapter 1. The big idea, the main idea of our passage this morning is this. Willingness is more important than words. Willingness is more important than words. What we're going to see in Jer with Jeremiah is that when God responds to his reluctancy, when God responds to him saying, I I'm not ready, I don't know what to say, God will actually provide the words. God will actually give us the words. What God is looking for is willingness. That the greatest obstacle in the way of you having a spiritual impact on those around you, the biggest obstacle is not words. The biggest obstacle is your willingness. To be open, to be used by God. Let me show you this. Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's jump right in. Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 4. 
Now, Jeremiah, to give you a little bit of historical context, he's a prophet of God, and his job is to speak the words of God to God's people. And he's doing this at a very hard time. If you remember, as we've journeyed through the Bible, the people of God settled in a land, and that land became known as Israel. But that land only had about two kings before it split. Before it split in half, think of the civil war, but there was no union. There was no coming back. They broke off southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Right now, what's happened for Jeremiah is the northern kingdom has been captured by Assyria. They've been taken away. God punished them for their sin. And so he took them away. And a hundred years after that is where Jeremiah is. And his job right now is to speak to Judah and tell him, don't do what your big brothers did. Don't do what your big sister did. Don't do what your brothers and sisters did in the north. Don't turn away from God. Come back to him. Come back to him so you don't lose the land that you're in. Well, it's not really working for Jeremiah. You're going to see he's going to have a hard time walking through this. And he becomes known as kind of this pessimistic prophet because the people are stubborn. They just keep pushing away and pushing away and pushing away. And so for 40 years, he has to deal with stubbornness. 40 years, he has to deal with the people that aren't really going to respond to him. But he perseveres through 40 years. And I think it's because of the experience he has right here. Look at this. It's Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. This is when God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet. God calls Jeremiah to speak his words. Look at verse 4. It says, The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Okay, just slow down right here. Try to picture yourself in Jeremiah's shoes. You have this assignment. The assignment, hopefully, to, to stop the people from their sin, to, to, to get them to turn away from their evil practices, to get them to win over, in a sense, the favor of God, to align themselves in obedience to his will, and to keep the land that God had promised them. You're doing everything in your power to make that happen, to make them not do what their northern brothers had done. And how God pushes Jeremiah forward to do this is he tells him, Jeremiah, I've destined you for this moment. When I was handcrafting you in your mother's womb, I was giving you purpose. You are not accidental, Jeremiah. You're not, you're not just a, a product of chance and coincidence. You're not a random collision of molecules. I wove you together. And I'm not just your creator. I didn't just make you and leave you. I wrote a plan for your life. I'm your designer and the one who's dreamed about your future. Jeremiah had purpose from the moment of his conception. Do you feel that sense of destiny there? God dreamed about Jeremiah's life. Now ask yourself, is that you too? Do you have that kind of purpose? Do you have that kind of destiny? Jeremiah, a prophet, his job is to speak the words of God to God's people. His job is to be a mouthpiece for God. He has purpose from the moment of conception. 
God has handcrafted him with the gifts and the skills for just this season to be a faithful mouthpiece to God. Is that true for you too? Is this only for Jeremiah? This language that God uses here to speak of the prophet Jeremiah, he uses this language with other people as well. He uses this language with people who don't follow him. He uses this language with people who do follow him. And if you journeyed with us through the Bible, you've actually seen this. Let me give you two examples. So, so you can see that this is how God speaks to his people, even when they don't follow and even when they do follow. Perfect example of this is the two first kings of the people of Israel. First king of Israel was a man by the name of Saul. And God had a dream for Saul's kingdom. Sadly, Saul disobeyed. And this great sin that he committed actually forfeited his opportunity to participate in that dream. The prophet Samuel comes up to him. Look at this. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Look at to these disappointing words how destiny wasn't grabbed by Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 13 says this. How foolish. This is Samuel talking to Saul. Samuel exclaimed, you have not kept the commandment the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Think about what's being said here. Samuel is going up to Saul and saying, Saul, you lost it, buddy. God had this dream over you that you would have a kingdom that would last for so long. But you didn't follow. You didn't obey. Now, this doesn't destroy the ultimate plan of God. No. God is the ultimate author of history. He doesn't throw up his hands and think, oh no, what am I going to do? He's not at a disadvantage at this point. The person who's at a disadvantage is Saul. He misses out on the blessing of obeying God. But you see that God dreamed over Saul, someone who didn't even follow him. The next king, King David, speaks the same way about himself. David writes this beautiful psalm, Psalm 139. And he talks about how God not only created him, but dreamed about his life beyond the womb. Before David could even dream himself, God was dreaming over David. Look at this, Psalms 139, we're starting verse 13. Look at how David talks about himself. You made all the delicate and inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. You're my creator, you're my designer. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had happened. Do you see again that balance of creation, of this design, this intention, weaving together? But then you see more than that, right? It progresses beyond that idea. I'm not just your creator, but I've handcrafted you. I've recorded your days before you ever step foot into them. This is the language that the scripture is saturated with. 
This isn't just true for Jeremiah. It's not just true for Saul. It's not just true for David. It's true for you too. God has a dream for your life. You're not accidental. And how your chromosomes line up and your DNA lines up and the amino acids and the helix and all that stuff, that's not an accident. God has intentionally designed you, handcrafted you with skills and gifts. For what purpose? For the same purpose that Jeremiah had, to speak his message of love to his people. Now, Jeremiah did it with the nation. Saul and David were supposed to step in to be great kings. You don't have that assignment. But you do have an assignment. God has put you in the circles where you have influence for a reason. I know it seems like, no, Intel came after me. They offered me a job. It was a great compensation package. It looked better than the company over here. So I made the choice. I stepped in. The execs made the offer. All of that may be true. But behind the scenes, God was thinking, how do I reach these people? How can I speak my message of love to this group right here? I know I'll send this guy. I know I'll send this gal. How is God's message of love going to come to your family? To your friends, to your coworkers, your children, your spouse, your best friend, your neighbors. Who is God going to use? The primary voice he's going to use is yours and not mine. Now hear me, if you invite your friends and, and you invite your neighbors and your family members and your coworkers, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I have a habit of doing that. But I know that the spiritual conversation that's going to have the most impact is you. And God has dreamed about that moment. It's no accident you have the last name that you have. It's no accident that you live on that part of the block. It's no accident that you work in that cubicle. It's no accident. As God wove you together in your mother's womb, he wrote out this wonderful dream of how you'll impact those around you. Now, hearing that and thinking that, feeling the dignity you have because the destiny given to you by the dreamer of your life, God. That can be uplifting. It can also be what? Terrifying. I'm supposed to be the steward of the spiritual life of the people around me? I don't know what to say. This is exactly what Jeremiah said. Uh, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 1 and see what Jeremiah said because maybe this is what you have said. And, and if I'm honest, at times, this is what I've said. This is what my friend said. I don't know what to say. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. I'm too old. <laughs> Isn't it funny how easy it is to see the obstacles in the way of fulfilling the, God, the dream that God has for us? Right? It's like we all work in insurance or something like that. <laughs> we all see the probabilities and the risk factor of like, this may not be good. Right? Spiritually, it's like we all become these claim assessors, right? these risk assessors. We all become analytical, like, this isn't going to work. I know for me, and maybe you have this experience too, is, is when a moment or an opportunity is kind of leaning in that direction and I feel like a conversation is getting to the point of like, hey, this is going to lead to Jesus. I'm so excited about this. I'll start doing this game in my head. Of all the different possibilities this conversation can go, 
right? And he looked like a crazy man with yarn on a, on a dartboard, you know, like in the conspiracy theory movies and the, like all this different stuff. And I've laid out every single possibility. And then when I've exhausted all the possibilities I could possibly think of, guess what happens? The door shuts and the conversation is over. It's almost like I sit there and the smoke starts coming out of my ear as I'm processing. I find myself in analysis paralysis, not moving, not acting, and then the conversation is over. You ever been there? If I say this, what if they say this? If I say this, what if they, they say this? It's easy to see the obstacles. It's very easy. Jeremiah saw the obstacles. If that's been you, you're in good company. The prophet of God was there. Your pastor has been there. Sometimes we get that fear of, I just don't know what to say. And here's what's so remarkable is how God speaks to this problem. How God responds to his prophet's reluctancy. And I think this is exactly how God responds to you. God wants you to pastor, in a sense, the people that are around you. And when you feel the weight and the burden of that, well, it's, it's, that's my job to steward the spiritual life of my neighbors, my coworkers, my family members. That's what God has called me to. Yes, that's what God has called you to. You feel the weight of that moment. You think, man, I don't, I don't know what to say. I better read the Bible three times through before I ever open my mouth. Look what God said to his prophet. And friend, this is what God says to you. All right, look at God's response. We're in verse 7. The Lord replied, Don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I'll be with you. I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Look at this. This is my favorite part. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth. I have no idea what that experience is. I don't know if it's a vision. I don't know if it's a physical reality in space-time. I don't know what's happening. But it's like God is spoon-feeding his prophet. God is stepping down and bringing his hand to his prophet's mouth. Almost like he's a child, right? It's like God is saying, here comes the airplane. Open your mouth. Here's a spoonful of divine word. (laughs) And look at how he explains this gesture. Then the Lord reached out and he touched my mouth and said, Look, I have put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand against the nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down and destroy and overthrow. And others you must build up and plant. Look at this passage. What is God promising and clearly, Jeremiah is worried about his ability. He's worried about his maturity. I don't know enough words and I'm not old enough. They won't listen to me. I don't have credibility. Right? They don't see me as a person of, uh, uh, of wisdom. They look at me and they think, oh, that guy's 17. Maybe Jeremiah is a late bloomer. Right? I know what that's like. I'm still waiting for puberty to hit. Okay? This is all fake. This is not real. It's Velcro. Okay? But he's intimidated by his stature, intimidated by his presentation to people. He doesn't think when he steps on the stage, there's going to be credibility. And he's worried about, I don't know the words to say. I'm just too young for this. I'm not learned enough. I haven't gone to the right schools. I haven't done the right training. I sees all these obstacles. And God says, okay, so you're worried about protection. I'm with you. I'll be right there. I'll be your bodyguard. 
Checkbox. I'll protect you and I'll provide the words. In fact, I will put them right in your mouth. You don't have to invent them in your mind. I'm just going to take them and put them in your mouth. All you got to do is open your mouth. Think for a moment. What is the only thing Jeremiah has left to worry about? Protection is there. The provisions of word is, words are there. What else does he have to worry about? His willingness. That's it. The only thing that stops him from stepping into the dream of spiritual impact that God has for him, the only thing is his willingness. All the other excuses are gone. All the other obstacles are gone. The God who spoke the universe into existence, there was nothing he spoke and there was everything. That God says, I will speak into your mouth where there is nothing. I will speak into your mouth and there is everything. That's what God says for you too. Let me just show you this. I want to bring this into the New Testament and show you this. Paul, when he's writing to the believers in Ephesus, he uses very similar language that Jeremiah used. Very similar language to talk about destiny. Very similar language to talk about how God is not only our creator, but he's the one who's dreamed of great days for us. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Think of the language of Jeremiah 1. Think of the language of destiny. And see how this is applied to you. This is Paul in the New Testament speaking to the church at Ephesus. This is what he says. For we are God's masterpiece. That is a very charged Greek word there. It's not only the idea of intricacy, it's also the idea of of artistry. Almost like a poem. This is what God has done with you. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. There's that creation idea, that design idea. But why did he handcraft us? Why did he make us? Here's the destiny part. Here's the dream part. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. When was God planning about you? Before you were ever born. Before you could ever dream, God was dreaming about you. Laying out a plan for great spiritual impact. You specifically. All the quirkiness of your personality, your weird interests, your weird hobbies, your totally off-base sports alliances like the ducks and the beavers. Oh, right? I'm sorry. But that's intentional. That's by design. That's not accidental. It's not inconsequential. God sees the trajectory of your life spiritually, and he's saying, I want them to ripple out and affect others. How can I do that? Man, I'm going to make this guy a Laker fan. That's me. You can boo. It's fine. It's church. But I didn't say anything about the Bible. I said Lakers, so you can boo me. If I preach the Bible, though, you can't boo that. Okay, that's kind of the rules in church. Right? But God put these things together, knit us together. Because he was looking to have us make a spiritual impact in those around us. Paul, but I don't know what to say in that moment. Right? Jeremiah was spoon-fed by the sovereign creator of the universe words. Same is true for you. 
Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples in the Gospel of Luke, makes the same promise that Jeremiah got. In Jeremiah 1, 9, and 10, look at Jesus' words. Again, recall back that commissioning of the prophet. This is what Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 11. Look at this. And when you are brought to trial, this is a hard time. This is not hanging out with a friend at a hops game and they reveal something in their life of brokenness and then you seize the moment of vulnerability and you leverage that towards Jesus. This is talking about, this is a high pressure time. They're going to try you. They're going to convict you. You may be sentenced, right? So this is a difficult moment. And when you are brought to a trial in the synagogue and before the rulers and the authorities, don't worry. Really? When there's trial, what do I do? I worry. But Jesus says, don't worry about how you are to defend yourself or what you're to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Who gives the words? God does. Willingness is more important than words. He promises that the Holy Spirit will give them exactly what they need to say at a moment where their life literally could be hanging in the balance. I mean, Jesus is giving this, sorry, that's just a pop. Um, in, it's because you hired a pastor who's a USC fan. This is God's curse on you. So if you hear that pop, that's what that is. Once you get the sin out of the camp, the pop will go away. That's what I've been told by the desk. Uh, we're trying to figure it out, but now you know what that is if it, if it interrupts us again. Okay, where was I at? Jesus, yes. Okay, so Jesus is making this promise to his disciples. Now think about what he's preparing them for because Jesus has not yet been crucified, but he will go before the synagogue. He will go before the rulers. He will be tried, convicted, and crucified. So when Jesus' followers are recalling Jesus' words, the moment that Luke was recording those words, their master had already died. Now he rose again from the grave, but they know the opposition that's going to be set against them. They know at this moment their life could hang in the balance. They know at this moment they could die. If there's any time you need to be worried about your words, that's time, right? Sitting in a courtroom thinking, this could be it. Tomorrow I could be on a cross. And Jesus is saying, don't prepare your defense. Don't study. Take it easy. The Holy Spirit will come. You know what he's going to do? He's going to take his words, and he's going to put them right there in your mouth. What else is there to worry about? Willingness is more important than words. God has designed you, handcrafted you, destined you, dreamed about you, and all those around you. That's God's dream for you. Not financial success, not career advancement. God's dream is that you would see people around you come to know him, come to follow him. And God has given you and will give you the words to do that. All he wants is for you to be willing. So here's my question to you. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to see that God has a dream over your life? Willing to see that God has intentionally placed you in the family that you're in, with the fr friends that you have, at the work site that you're at, are you willing to see that God has destined you for those people? Are you willing to say, okay, God, I'll jump. 
I'll jump. I don't know what to say, but you'll give me the words. I'll jump. I'll jump. I'm not going to pass the buck. I'm not going to push off my responsibility. I'm not going to give it up to just somebody else. I'm going to own that. My neighbors are my responsibility. My friends are my responsibility. My family is my responsibility. Are you willing? I think you are willing because you know that they're worth it, right? You know your loved ones are worth it. You know that one conversation could change their eternity forever. You know that. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to get really, really practical. I want to give you some words. I want to give you some words. I'm assuming that you're willing. I'm assuming that you're ready. I'm assuming that maybe you're a little bit nervous. Okay, well, what do I do? Let me give you some words. I'm not God putting them right in your mouth, but I'm going to try to give you some words that I have found to be incredibly helpful in influencing those around me spiritually. These are words that I've seen and, 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 and heard other experts write about, talk about. Two sentences that literally can change the spiritual trajectory of your friends and family members. Just two. And they're really easy and they're really simple. But if you put these into practice, you'll be surprised at where people go spiritually around you. And here's my hope. Because the first sentence is a lot easier than the second one. I'm hoping that everybody in this room who's a follower of Jesus Christ, everybody in this room will say, I'll do the first one. I'll do the first one this week. And then I'm praying that some of you, maybe just a few, will do the second. Okay, and that's between you and God. But let me give you the first one. Are you ready? It's profound. Okay, it's not. It's very simple. You won't have to write it down. You'll memorize it. It's very easy. Here's the first sentence. It's a question. The question is this. Can I pray for you. Can everybody go, wow. That's not wow, you laughed. It's very insulting. Next service will be better. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But I'm going to promise you this. You can hold me to account, okay? I'll give you your money back. Actually, I don't think I will. I don't know how you've given, but I'm not going to give it back. Can I pray for you? I bet if you just ask this one question, to one person this week. You know one person in your life who's not yet following Jesus. I'm sure you do. One person this week who's not following Jesus around you. If you just came up to them and you say, hey, you know what, Chuck? Um, every, every morning, I, I pray for those that I love. Every morning, I pray, and I pray for just stuff that's in their life, different needs in their life. And you know what, Chuck? I got, you know, we're really good friends. And, and I love you, man. I know that sounds weird, but I love you, man. And I just want to add you to that list because I care about you. So how can I pray for you? I've never had anybody say no, ever. Whether they're a different religion, whether they're an atheist, agnostic, never. I've never had anybody say, no, you can't pray for me. If that happens to you, cool. It'll be the first time that I've ever seen it happen. But this question right here can literally change the spiritual trajectory of somebody's life around you. All you have to do is ask this question, can I pray for you? You listen to what they say, you say, great, I'm going to pray for them. And then you pray for it. And then you tell them that you pray for it. And you say, hey, I just want to keep updated. You said that your son was dealing with some medical things and he was going to go to the doctor and, and you were waiting on test results to come back. Has, has that come back? Oh, yeah, it did come back and it was, it was pretty bad. Oh, man, Chuck, I'm so sorry. I'm going to continue to pray for you. How else can I pray for you? How else can I serve you? 
I tell you, that is winsome Christianity right there on display. Is there one person, just one in your life, who's not following Jesus? There's one person that you can ask this one question. One question, can I pray for you? Imagine if everybody who came to Sunrise this week found one person asked that question to you. That's hundreds of prayers for people not yet following Jesus. Hundreds. What would that look like in a year? Doesn't that just capture you? Doesn't that make you think, this is why God designed me. This is why God made me. This is my destiny. This is my dream. This may be your first step into that. Okay, here's my second question. This one's a little harder, right? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, oh, Paul, I got that. I did that today. Good for you. Here's the next question. A little harder, a couple more words. Question is this. Have I ever told you why I'm a Christian? Have I ever told you why I'm a Christian? Hey, Chuck, you know, I know you see me, you know, going to church on, on Sundays. And remember you asked me to play golf that one Sunday and I told you, man, I can't because I'm serving at my church. Chuck, have I, have I ever told you why I'm a Christian? I mean, we're really good friends and, and going to church and being a Christian, it's, it's really important to me. Have I ever shared with you why I'm a Christian? And the answer is, oh, no, you haven't. Oh, can I share with you? You're asking permission to share your story. I haven't had anybody tell me no to that one. Now, you may get a no on that one. But think about that opportunity you just gave them. You're asking them, hey, you're important to me. Can I share with you what's important to me? They give you permission. They just open the door wide open. Tell me. Tell me why you believe what you believe. And all you have to do is share your story. You're not starting a debate. You're not doing any of that stuff. All you're doing is sharing your story. I'm telling you, you'd be surprised at how persuasive your personal story can be in changing the spiritual direction of somebody's life forever. I guarantee you, and I want to be very practical, I guarantee you, if you use these two questions over the next year, you should make that a part of your rhythm in the relationships that you have that God has put you in. I'm telling you, a year from now, the spiritual journeys around you will look so incredibly different. Can I pray for you? I ever share with you why I'm a Christian? Easy questions that could change the lives of those around you. So I'll ask you that question again. Are you willing? Are you willing? Because your willingness is more important than the words that come out. You take that jump, God will hold your hand, he'll put the words right in your mouth. And he may use that moment to save your brother, your sister, your spouse, your child, co-worker, your best friend. Are you willing? Now, maybe you're here and a friend invited you. And I want to say right up front, thank you for honoring your friend with coming to church. You came here because you like them and they're great people and that's awesome. And maybe you came thinking, hey, exploring Christianity, how can that hurt? And I know that every week people come here are exploring Christianity. We know that. The survey that we just did told us that. There's a group, a big group of people who are exploring Christianity. So I want to speak to you just for a moment. That's you. You're like, Paul, I'm the explorer one. That's where I'm at. That's the category that, that I'm in. I'm still trying to figure this thing out. I want to tell you, God has a dream for your life. 
God has designed you, handcrafted you. He's your creator, and he has dreamed about the life that you would have in sharing his message of love with the world. And the only thing in the way of you fulfilling that dream, which will give you ultimate satisfaction and contentment, which would give you drive and joy, even in the hard times of life, the only thing that stands in the way is your willingness. That's it. And the first step, the first step is to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the first step of following Jesus. The Bible describes our lives of having a lot of beauty, and that's because of God's design. The Bible also describes that our lives have brokenness. Our lives are under a curse, and that's because of sin. It's because of our sin and the sin of others around us. And we can't get away from that brokenness. We can't mend it, and we can't free ourselves from that curse. But God has made a way for that curse to be lifted. God has made a way for that brokenness to be mended. And he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die and to rise for the forgiveness of our sin, to bring us back in right relationship with him. And the Bible says the way you capture that, the way you take that forgiveness that was won for you at the cross is by believing in Jesus Christ and giving your life over to him. So my encouragement to you is to take that step today. I'm going to pray a prayer just here in a moment, right at the end of our service, right here, or the end of our message time. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. If you want to take that first step of belief in Jesus, just follow me in that prayer. It's not magical words or anything like that, but if you want help expressing your belief to God for the first time, you can just follow me with that. And if you do that, the Bible says that after you express that belief, you should display it. You should show it off. So if you pray that prayer with me, what I want you to do at the end of our service is to go out these doors Turn that way. Go see Jace. Because the next step for you after belief is baptism. If you haven't yet been baptized, that's that next step. That's that next step that God wants you to follow in. So make sure you see Jace at the end of the service. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, how much you love us and you care for us. Father, you are wanting us to be good stewards of the relationships that are around us. You're wanting us to capture the moments that you've given us. You've created us, handcrafted us for the moments of our lives with our coworkers, our, our, our neighbors, our family members, all of those different things. You have given us a season like this. You've prepared us for a moment like this. And we are ready, just like Jeremiah, to speak your words to your people. But Father, at times we get reluctant because we're afraid I just don't know what to say. The words just aren't right. Father, help us to see that you're looking for willingness, not a master of words. You're looking for those that just raise their hand and say, I'll do it. I'll go. Father, I pray you'd, you'd use these two questions. Very simple questions. Not highly academic, not highly intellectual, but questions that can truly start a spiritual journey anew. I pray you'd use them. I pray this week as people ask, can I pray for you? I pray there'd be a great response to that. I pray that would start a great relationship. For even those who take that next step and say, have I ever told you I'm a Christian? Man, what a great opportunity to just share our story of how God has changed our lives. Would you be with them? Be with them, Father, as they seek to faithfully influence those around them. Oh, what could this community look like? if we captured those two ideas. And Father, for those in this room right now are willing to say, you know what, I've been living my dream and it's not going so well. I've been living my dream and it's more of a nightmare. 
Maybe they're in this room right now and they're starting to think, you know what, I, I think I've been living the wrong dream. I need to live God's dream. He's made me. He loves me. He sent his son to die on the cross for me, to forgive me of my sin. I pray, Father, if they're in the room right now, whether it's just one or two, I pray, I pray Father, that you're speaking to them right now. And if that's you in the room right now, what I want to do is I want to offer a simple prayer of belief. And these words are deeply meaningful if they come from your heart. If you want to express that belief to God for the first time, you could just say something like this. Just in the privacy of your own heart, just between you and God, you can say this. You can say, Father, I see. I see my need for you. I see that my sin has pushed me away from you. And I want to be back. Father, I see the only way to get back was made by your son through his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins. So today, today, Father, today I believe. Today I hand my life over to you. Lead me, lead me into the dream that you have for me. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.